0: The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. We turn our attention to Genesis chapter 12. Today we're going to focus on verses 1 through 9, and we will consider what happens through chapter 14. So Genesis chapter 12, again, our focal text is verses 1 through 9. I invite you to stand as I read the Word of God. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward Negeb. Let's pray. Father, we ask now as we take up your holy word that you would speak to us. Lord, we, we need clarity in this text. If anything's You've taught me this week and you've taught me today and sharing with your people already. We need clarity on this text. We might not understand just what is here, but that we might understand the Bible. So lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we were looking at the Tower of Babel. God's judgment is spreading out of the the peoples to the world. Now we come to Abram and the grace of God now bursts on the scene before us. As I just prayed for you, for me, brothers and sisters, we got to understand that this text is crucial to our understanding Genesis. It is crucial for our understanding of the message of the entire Bible. God's story of his redemptive plan for a people unfolds through the promise of the continuation of the seed of Abraham. God's mission to bless the nations by removing the blight of human sin and the arrogance we just saw in Babel is before us. The story is about the conversion of a pagan and the mission of God through him that he would bless the families of the earth. We we arrive at Abram by working our way through Genesis 11 and the descendants of Shem, It's from this descendant, this son of Noah, that the line is going to come. In verse 27, we come to Terah. And these are the generations of Terah. Now, from, from verse 27 to chapter 11, we've been moving very quickly. Time has been very long, and the account of that time has been very short from Genesis 1 to 11. Now... We're going to go from the generation of Terah and time is going to be very short and there's going to be a lot written through the rest of Genesis. So we're not going to move near as fast through time as we continue to consider this. Or as we think about the generations of Terah, verse 28 tells us that he was in the Ur of Chaldeans. Ur means city, the city of the Chaldeans. He's a Babylonian or a modern-day Iraqi. Ur would have been just south of Babylon. We know from verse 29 that he has a son, Abram, and Abram has a wife, Sarai. And we know from verse 30 that she's barren, that she has no children. Now, this is important for us as the story unfolds to understand that this woman had not been able to have kids. Now, Before we move into what happens in chapter 12, I just want this verse to set a backdrop in your mind. Joshua 24, 2, it says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. So get this. The first Jew was a Gentile. The first Hebrew was a pagan. His name was Abram. And the Lord now in chapter 12 speaks. And the Lord calls Abram. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house into the land that I will show you. Now, you've got to grasp this in your mind. There's nothing good in Abram that draws the Lord to him. There's no prior condition that Abram met to cause God to come to him and to call him. This is entirely a work of grace on God's part. What Abram receives is unearned. It is unmerited. So without warning and without prompting, The Lord calls Abraham from his pagan land and from his pagan people and from his pagan family and says, go to a land that I'm going to show you. Now, this sounds very similar to Jesus when Jesus comes on the scene. In Matthew chapter 4, he's making his way around the North Sea of Galilee and he comes upon these fishermen and it says literally they were casting their nets into the sea and Jesus said to them, Follow me. No warning. Again, no thing in them, nothing in them that would cause God to move toward them. He says, follow me. And just as God's going to do with Abram, Jesus made a promise. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And just like Abram it says, immediately they left their nets. Let us now consider the promises that God gives to Abram. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and you, the families of the earth shall be blessed. The word bless or blessing or blessed is used five times in these two short verses. Now this is God's covenant promises in the context of God's command to go out in faith. The covenant's usually understood as a mutual agreement. There's no mutual discussion between God and Abraham. It's one-sided. God makes a solemn command and gives multiple promises to Abraham. Abraham does not enter into any conditions. God says, the Lord God says, I will. Now, I want you to think this with me in your mind because this is where our brains go the opposite. God is not presenting possibilities. He's not saying this might happen. He repeats over and over again I what I will I will these are firm resolutions so what God's saying is Abram, there's no comparison between the command to leave all and follow me than the good things that I have in store for you if you love and obey me I will make you a great nation he says So he has here a reference to, and we're going to see, the institution of the nation of Israel. Still surviving today as a political nation. God's going to make a nation of Israel, a great nation. He says, I will bless you, Abram, and make your name great. Now let's let's just refer our brains back to Babel right quick. What was the driving force at Babel? They wanted to do what for themselves? You remember? They wanted to make a name for themselves. God says, you're not going to make a name for yourself, Abram. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make your name great. And there is a common biblical character that most people in the world alive today know about. And his name is Abraham. Even in the Muslim context, you will find people who know at least part of the story of Abraham. Abraham. So God plans and God accomplishes what he said that he would do, not for Abraham's sake, but for his own sake. Because God says in Malachi 1-1 that he will make his name great among the nations. He settles on Abraham so that Abraham would draw attention to the greatness of his name. Then the last, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you. In in chapter 22, verse 18, it says, in your seed. And here's what God is promising that he's going to do as he blesses Abram. He curses those who dishonor Abram. He's promising he will continue to do this because from Abram, the coming Messiah is going to come from his lineage from the seed of abram so what does Abraham do the answer is abram believes and obeys the lord it says in verse four so abram went as the lord told him and lot with him abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. so the point is clear abram went as an act of obedience to the word of the lord He didn't go because he'd already planned to or considered it. He went because God told him to. Now, remember chapter 11 Sarah's barren. She did not have kids. She can't have kids. Now we're told Abram's how old? 75. This is not quite the couple that you're going to pick, in which the seed's going to come from an old man and a barren woman. God makes a promise. And this is going to affect how this story continues to play out and we're not going to get any resolution to this until Genesis chapter 21 with the birth of Isaac and then it's going to turn immediately in chapter 22 when God calls Abram to sacrifice him. We'll get there. So Here's the question then. Why did Abram go? Now some of you want to apply the parenting method why do I have to do this because because I said so so in your head you could say well God said so so Abram did it has God said things that you clearly know he said huh have you done them all no so what's the problem what's your issue and what is it that drove Abram to obey? The answer is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse eight, and it says, by faith, Abram, Abraham obeyed. When he was called to go to a place that he was to receive an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. So Abram went because Abram believed God. His obedience to the word of the Lord is the fact that he believed what God had said. If he had not believed, he would not have obeyed. So the promises of God then would have not been fulfilled. Now here's what we're going to do in your growth group this week. You're going to take Hebrews chapter 11 and work through some more of this, of of the acts of faith of Abraham. And then you're going to tie together with James chapter 2 where faith and works come together, faith and obedience come together, and talk about this relationship between faith and obedience. Because let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. When you look at the modern church, you hear a lot of talk about faith, and you see very little evidence of what? Obedience. That ought not to be. Something's missing. And it's not just obedience. You know what's really missing? Faith faith. It's the faith of Abraham that led to his obedience. When you believe God, you obey. And this is very important here, just a little note, a little asterisk here. Just notice in this portion of the narrative, Abram says nothing. It is God alone who speaks. Abram just obeys. Abram speaks with his actions. His actions are speaking louder than any words he could offer. In verse 5, we see that Abram worships. He took his wife, Sarah and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they gathered, and the people they would acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. God told him to go. He went. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of the place of Shechem. So here's what he's doing. He's passing from north to south through Canaan, modern-day Israel, and basically, and part of this has to do with the topography of how the land lays. You've got a coastal plain and you've got these high mountains in Israel. He's coming just east, or excuse me, west of the mountains. And the first place he stops that were recorded here is Shechem. Now, this would be basically right in the center of the land of Canaan. So at that time, the Canaanites are in the land. So that's another ominous tone that, hey, there are people already here. And then verse 7 says, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham. Up to this point, all God's done is spoke. Now he appears. He appears to Abram, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So you see him pause here in Shechem and worships the Lord by building an altar. From there he moved to the hill country to the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. Bethel. What city do you think is going to eventually end up here? Bethlehem. It's just outside of Jerusalem. Significant that here in this location, he places an altar and worships, the Lord and calls upon the name of the Lord. Then he goes from there and he proceeds further south toward Egypt into the Negeb region. And later you're going to see in, in Genesis that he worships there at Hebron. Now, why is he doing this? Why is he move, Why didn't he just go to Shechem and stop? Why is he moving through? Why is he stopping, pausing, and worshiping the Lord? because Abram's movements are symbolic of taking possession of the land. He's passing through it as if he owns it. And he is pausing to build altars and worship the Lord to say, this is not my land, this is God's land. He's dedicating this land to the Lord. And he's saying, this land, Canaan, is gonna be a beachhead for the kingdom of God on the earth. Now here's what happens. Ratchet ahead to us, the church, Instituted by Christ through the Holy Spirit's coming, that now beachheads are established everywhere the church is established. That everywhere the church of Jesus Christ is established, it's an outpost for the kingdom of God and it is to spread to the uttermost parts of the earth. The Lord promises that He's going to bless Abraham promises that he's going to be fulfilled and just as he promised Abraham he promises us that he's never going to leave us and he's never going to forsake us now what this gives us in this narrative is a powerful portrayal of faith that from a thoroughly pagan background with very little information Abram took God at his word and went I just simply say this the gospel is enough to change a man or a woman instantly forever. This idea that we got to pr- play to the scientific, logical m- word, way a man, modern man works. Listen, God can save in an instant. And it's only that instant it takes of God making his will known to us in Christ that the light comes on and we turn to him in repentance and are saved. Now, here's what follows. Abram takes God at his word and goes. In the chapters that follow, as Abram pursues this new calling, he struggles. This doesn't sound very American Christian. He struggles right away. Look at this. In chapter 12, it says there was a famine in the land. So he shows up in Canaan, and the first thing he's faced with is a famine. So he went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And when he gets there, he says, Sarah, I don't know how old she is. Assumption is she's older too at this point. He says, you're so beautiful, they're going to want you. And he means this, because they do. Because Pharaoh wants her and brings her into the harem. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to not tell him you're my wife. We're going to tell him you're his sister. Is that true? Yeah, it's his half-sister. But it's still a deception. He's deceiving by saying you're just my sister. He's not telling his wife. Now, what God does is, verse 17, the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So God intervenes here. Abram puts her in danger, but the Lord delivers her. And Pharaoh says, get out of here. And not only does he send him out, he sends him on his way with stuff. So here's the basic point of this part of the story that God is the one who is preserving the purity of Sarai for the sake of his promise. God is protecting the future of his covenant. And Israel will learn that even though they're unfaithful at times, there are aspects of God's covenant, of God's promise, that he will not relinquish even if they fail. Now, this does not mean that we condone his deception here. It's an embarrassing thing. It was the wrong thing to do. But we see that in spite of Abram, God blesses and continues what he promised that he was going to do. Chapter 13. They come back up into Canaan. Abram and Lot, they have flocks. Their animals multiply and they get in a dispute over grass. Their workers do. So they decide, Abram decides, Lot, you pick. You go east, I'll go west. You go west, I'll go east. You pick. Lot looks out. This kind of sounds like Eve in the garden. He looks out over the Jordan Valley and he sees it was like the garden of the Lord and he makes the choice to take that part of Canaan. Now we're told here, as you look at that, that that this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So we know that's coming. And we also know in verse 13 that the men of Sodom were wicked and great sinners against the Lord. And this is the section where Lot ends up. But here at this moment, God speaks to Abraham. Abraham. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, verse 14, lift up your eyes and look at the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one could count the dust of the earth, your offspring can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. (laughs) It's as if God's saying this You just gave part of it away. But I'm giving it to you. And here's how I want you to remind yourself. I want you to go walk the length and the breadth of this land. And you remind yourself, I'm giving this land to you. So again, God is showing that he is going to do what he promised. And then he throws this in here so we get the significance. I'm going to multiply your offspring like the dust of the earth. More than you can count. Then in chapter 14, God blesses Abram in defense of Lot and the neighboring kingdoms. I don't know if this has ever dawned on you before. You know, you, you know enough about your Bible to know God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah, right? The pillar of salt story. You got that? We'll, we'll get to it. But did you know that God defends Sodom through Abram? So these five kings come in and they sweep in on the four kings around Sodom and Gomorrah and they defeat them. And Lot, because he's living there, gets caught up in this and he becomes part of the spoils of war and they take them north to Dan, which is almost the northern border of Israel. Abram hears about this. He assembles 318 trained men. I think the point here, I think, I'm not 100% sure, is to say God takes a small group of people and does something very significant. And they go up and thump this group of kings and they bring everybody back. Now when they come back, the king of Sodom and the king of Salem come out to meet Abram. That's where I'm picking up in verse 18 of chapter 14. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram, by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now, what's going to follow right after this is the king of Sodom's going to come up and offer to give Abram the spoils of the, of the fight. And Abram's got enough sense to say, I don't want anything from you. You keep it. But what he does do is give a tenth to Melchizedek. Now, who is this cat, Melchizedek? This guy shows up this briefly in your Bible in in the Old Testament story. Three chapters of Hebrews are devoted to the comparison between Melchizedek and Jesus. For a lot of people, it's a very confusing portion. Let me just give you the simple way you unlock what God's saying Is he making this comparison between Melchizedek and Jesus? Let's first just start with the name. Melchizedek means king is righteous. Okay. So obviously, we're already pointing to Christ here. That Christ is the righteous one. He is the king of Salem. Guess what his city is going to become? Jerusalem. It means peace. He's the king of the city of peace. So this king of Salem comes out and then we're told that he is a priest of the Most High God. So just like Jesus, Melchizedek is a type. He's pointing us to who Jesus is going to be. Jesus is going to be both a king and a priest. He is our king and our priest, who has not only delivered us, but makes intercession for us. And this king comes out and says to Abram, blessed be the, the Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So Abram, hey, before you go any further, don't you get cocky. Don't you think that you and these 318 men or something? It is God who delivered you. It is the evidence of God's blessing on you that he has delivered you and brought you forth. Now, here's the question. How does this apply to me? How does this apply to you? Now, here's one of the mistakes you make. And I've been saying this all along is you take an Old Testament story and you turn it moral. And you just focus on the person, the individual. So an example would be applying this text by saying, Abraham obeyed God, you obey God. All good men obey God. Is that that the point? Is that why it's in the Bible? Well, we know the point because Abraham's such a key figure in the Scripture, he's extensively explained in the New Testament. So let's go over to Galatians chapter 3 And let's determine here what we ought to grab hold of from Genesis chapter 12. Which I frame in this question. Am I blessed along with Abraham? Now I'm going to put attention in your mind. This is form of Christianity number one. Form of Christianity number one goes like this. Just come to Jesus and Jesus will make you healthy. And he'll give you stuff and your best life now. And everything's going to go great with you. And all you got to do is pray this way in Jesus' name. You can ask whatever you want to. You just tag this on here and God's over a barrel. He's got to do it. That's Christianity version number one. Now this is Christianity that I'm going to read to you. That by faith alone, in Christ alone, we are blessed. Salvation is the blessing. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. So when I ask you, am I blessed along with Abraham? I mean something very specific. Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 6. Know then that those of faith who are the sons of God that, is the, that it is those of faith who are the sons of God, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. So did you see it, friends? Those of you who have been wondering why I'm calling this series The Gospel in Genesis, that verse right there is one of the major emphasis. It says clearly that, that God preached the gospel to Abram. The good news that that in you shall all the nations be blessed. What did he mean? In you, all the nations are going to be blessed. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. From the seed of Abraham was coming the Messiah, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lived a sinless life, a righteous man in every way, who died a sinner's death in our place and took the curse of God upon himself in our place. God cursed him that he might bless us. And when we, by faith, trust in Jesus Christ, verse 9, Then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So if you are trusting Christ alone for for your salvation by faith alone, you are blessed along with Abraham. Not only are you blessed along with Abraham, those who trust in Christ belong to Christ. Verse 29, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's, Abraham's offering, heirs according to the promise. So, the blessing is salvation, and that by faith alone in Christ. Now, hear me, friends. This is not just some kind of subtle, warped form of Christianity. This isn't Christianity. This is a barrier, this is damning people to hell. Most of you, when I started with the word blessing, you were thinking something I could reach in my pocket, not my handkerchief, but money or health or stuff. God's blessed me. The next time that comes out of your mouth, may it be in the context of the thought that God saved a pagan, me. That's the greatest blessing that he could give. There's nothing more he could give you that would outweigh it. God would come and bless. You heard the song, blessed to be a blessing. Now we go right back to where we started. Blessed to be a blessing. Let's reach in our pocket and let's give money. Let's take care of people. What does that mean? Blessed to be a blessing. Look in chapter 3, Verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So here's the question then. Here's the question. How is it going to get to the Gentiles? How's it getting there? The answer is through the blessed. There is no other plan. God does not have another way he's gonna do it. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. So just as he said to Abraham, God says to us, go therefore and make disciples of all what? Nations. Nations. so my heart is leaping inside of me because in this room right now there's some people who are going to a people that I've been praying for for years. Unreached, unengaged with the gospel. Why are they going? Answer. They've been blessed. The motivating factor is what God has done in them. And the motivating factor to get you out of your slumber and to your neighbor and to your coworker and to your family and to the uttermost parts of the earth is to realize you've been blessed. That you've been saved. And listen to this quote. Those who truly believe the word of the Lord will forsake all else to become worshipers of the Lord and to serve his plan to bring his blessing to the world. I'll read it one more time. Those who truly believe the word of the Lord will forsake all else to become worshipers of the Lord. They'll leave their pagan country and their pagan family and their pagan land to serve his plan to bring a blessing, the blessing of God to the world. So let me just be clear here. You could walk out of here today based off what I preach and say, I know what I'm supposed to do. Preacher, pray for me. I know what I'm supposed to do. Big deal. Do you believe it? Knowing was not Abram's motivation. Knowledge did not get him out of Haran. What moved Abram is faith. Faith in Christ alone moves men and women. You know how often? Every time. So, Friends, I, I, I hear the silence. I've heard it all morning. I, 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 I sense what's going on in your hearts and minds on some level. And let me just say it this way as I bring a close to this message. It is unfortunate that another brand of Christianity has dominated our ears for so long that when we hear the simple message of God from the beginning, it's foreign. Do you get it today? The Great Commission wasn't something that God came up with after Jesus resurrected and said, oh, by the way, you guys go into the nations. This was God's plan from the beginning. This missionary God to make his name known to the nations. One final quote. God's mission is to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. God's mission is to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Let's pray. Lord, I, 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 I know what you're doing in my own heart. And I pray and I plead on behalf of the convicting work of the Spirit in the hearts and lives of people that today people who are hearing your voice will not harden their hearts, that, that, that they won't, slouch back and return. Lord, that they would hear your voice, that you've called us forward. You've called us as your people to worship you and to obey you both now and from here forward. So Lord, I, I pray for those who, who have not trusted in Christ alone. They've, they've trusted in some form of thought that it was outside of what your plan is. May they turn to you. And Lord, I pray and I plead For those whom you're calling by faith to trust you today and to step forth in obedience and worship to you. Lord, this song speaks to everything we're saying. So I pray this is a prayer. This is a prayer of joy, a prayer of obedience, a prayer of repentance. I pray that we as a people will come together and offer this prayer to one another, to speak to one another as we sing. Do your work among us while we sing and pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.